Gorgeous George and Goes, are you ready? Junkie Nation, are you ready? Well, let's get it on. From the fight capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada, this is MMA Junkie Radio. We roll it! What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Goes are back here on a Wednesday night for your Thursday morning delivery. Excited to talk to you for the next hour or so as we discuss everything going on here in the sport of mixed martial arts. That's why we're MMA Junkie Radio. Of course, a lot of it will have to do with the UFC because guess what? That UFC 282, everything coming out of that is still ringing. And a lot of people, you know, have been talking about some of the major stories coming out of the co-main event, and the main event. And MMA Junkie's kind of been all over it. So there'll be a lot for us to share for you, uh, point you towards. Already caught up with a few of the fighters that uh, in, that are involved in all this madness. I'm talking about Patty Pimblett, Jared Gordon, Glover Teixeira, Jamal Hill, and even Jan Blachowicz and Magomed Ankalaev. So... Anyway, aside from that, we're also going to talk to Jared Brooks. Who's Jared Brooks? Some of you may be saying, in my opinion, the best strawweight in the world. He just won the one championship strawweight title. And he's also competed in the UFC and Bellator as a flyweight, though. So we'll talk to him about this belt that he captured. Super cool guy. Goes and I had a chance to call his fight back in 2016 for World Series of Fighting Global. Anyway, we'll be right back to start the show. All right, goes. So, yeah, you know, usually when the shows are over, we kind of turn the page and we start looking forward to the next week, right? We have a fight week here in Vegas with Jared Cannonier, Sean Strickland at the top. Definitely want to chime in on that. But let's keep going here with UFC 282 and everything coming out of that. Patty Pimlet versus Jared Gordon. Controversial call and all, you know, from this past uh, Saturday night where Patty Pimlet won 29-28 across all the judges' scorecards. He kind of got there in a different way. They weren't unanimous in the way they scored the fight across the board, disagreeing on different rounds. But what they were was consistent with the 29-28. But like we pointed out on spinning a back click and our first show of the week, our first junkie radio show of the week, man, we just ain't feeling it. And now we've heard enough interviews from different people out, you know, other people that produce work as well. Notably, John McCarthy goes, whose son, Ron, also judged the fight 29-28 for Patty Pimlet. Ron, who consulted John, his dad, the co-creator of the damn unified rules of MMA, his dad told him, I think he got that one wrong. Jared Gordon won 29-28. So lots to unpack here. Great that the son and the dad communicate that way. I think they all should communicate that way. In fact, we've heard that there's a big what's up group chat, email chat, Zoom calls. There's a lot of stuff that I think the fans don't know because we just don't discuss it enough. Where they where they all do huddle up and talk about the previous week's uh, performances for judges and referees. So, but this is just an example right here. John McCarthy just flat out disagreeing with his son, Ron McCarthy. Yeah, and his reasoning behind it is what's really interesting to me is. He believed that just the crowd going after every punch and uh, may have swayed his son, Ron McCarthy, into making that decision. And that's my argument for when people say, well, what about open scoring? Having access to judges this way, I I think, is a bad idea because I think to this day, this type of stuff still happens. It doesn't just happen in MMA. It happens in other sports. I mean, how many times have we heard about the makeup call, right? Happens in basketball. It happens in soccer. It happens a lot. So um, I thought it was interesting that he felt uh, that Ron may have succumbed to that. Yeah, you know, and as you're talking, I'm thinking about a, a, a more blatant one, right? So the night before, Douglas Crosby calls all five rounds for Danny Sovatello over Rafian Stotts. And the other two judges have three rounds for Rafian Stotts and two for Danny Sovatello. But I'm, I'm thinking... 
as all this is playing out, Douglas Crosby is in a chair across from the other two referees who, whose names I don't recall at this particular moment. I think one of them was Derek Cleary. And as this is playing out, I'm sure that every single time the other judges aren't agreeing with them, which happened three times, you know, if the judge is just sitting there and not looking up or around or at his phone in that minute that the fighters are on the stool, then I guess nothing's happening, right? But at some point in time, think about how hot that seat must get. If you're, if they're flashing the scores and it says 10-9 Crosby, but the others are 10-9 the other way, if it happens once and it's close, you might still feel confident. Hey, that's the way I saw it. And if it happens again, you know, I, I wonder if you even look at the other judges kind of like, you know, how people um, like lip sync and, and like, am I tripping? You're like, I wonder what they would say to each other. Like, are you sure? <laughs> am I tripping? Um, mm-hmm. uh, do I look dumb right about <laughs> Yeah, people even, are going to start to boo, I, right? I wonder if they would even send each other messages. I mean, I doubt they would send each other messages, right? But like, am I high? <laughs> I wonder if the other judge would go, are you high? Dude, for oh, sure, another judge, especially after two rounds, would definitely rubberneck and kind of like give that person a look like, is something wrong with you? What's going on? Like, is there a red dot pointing at your chest right now? Is, are you under duress? What, what the hell is going on with you right now? Right. People are going to start to boo. It's going to get crazy. Like, come on. You tell me that somebody's not going to fold under pressure in those situations. Then they come back in the next round and go, man, I got to make up for this shit. And the other guy's kind of already down at that point because the judge is trying to make up for it. What if it swung the other way? Now you put 10-9 that guy and they went the other way. You're probably thinking, what am I doing here? Like, this is a, Open scoring is a nightmare, dude. There, there are maybe a couple good points about it, but everything else bad that can happen just puts you right back in the same spot and that, that there's always going to be some kind of human error and we have to live with that. Even if you get 10 judges... There's a good chance you might get five that see it one way and five the other. It just comes down. I I, Honestly, it comes down to accountability, I think. If you have a bigger pool of judges and if somebody screws up and you put them on the bench, then good. That's about as much as you could do. But but to, to come up with all these different, like the half point system, if they can't get this system right, what makes you think they're going to get the half point right? It's great. If you get it right, but that's the problem is they're not getting it right. They're not getting it right. Yeah. The two referee, sorry, the two judges that accompanied Douglas Crosby were Eric Colon and Brian Miner. In round one, they all said Sabatello. So let's just say that I, I, I think it'd be highly inappropriate for them to have a phone on them when they sit in that chair. I don't think they're allowed to. Right. They got to leave it behind. They get chairs where they can sit in between, and I'm sure they they might do that, and that's fine. I I would prefer that when the night starts, they just don't have a phone, to be honest. You know, if on your phone, you know, you have uh, maybe a brush up of some of the latest rules, well, should you even be in that chair? But someone could just print you a copy, you know, hey, in this particular state, there's no elbows, or hey, in this particular province, um, the 10-8 is more prevalent, whatever. But yeah, let's just say they have no phones or anything. But if they're all staring at each other and they all put up a 10-9 and then they flash it, as a human being, you probably almost want to lock eyes with the other guy and kind of like give him a wink, like, like at a boy, you know, like, like the air fist bump, right? Mm-hmm. Just like, uh-huh, same page. We're doing good, boys. And then the next round goes is where Cologne and Miner go <laughs> 10-9 for Stotts. Crosby goes 10-9 for Sabatello. As you all know, he gave him every fight all the rounds. They flash the scores again. Cologne and Miner look at each other like, mm-hmm, like a nod of the head. Uh, and then they probably look at Crosby and kind of go like, hmm, you know, like, I mean, because that, that might have been a close round where they just might go, hey, you know, stuff happens, right? Okay. The next round comes. But that's got to fuck with Crosby for the for those yeah. five minutes. That's got to. I wonder if the first thirty seconds he might even space it and just go. Was I tripping? Did, did I not give him credit for that? 
the early stuff or oh hey concentrate douglas like you gotta fight right here you know but anyway the next round now we're in the third again cologne and minor go 10 9 uh stots the other guy goes 10 9 sabatello <laughs> so now think about it at this point the scores flash and now cologne and minor have every right to go like what are you doing you know like <laughs> What what uh, are you are you all right or or, or you know I, I wonder if the panic is starting to set in because they're all kind of homies I've noticed that they're all you know they all kind of stay together in between fights and after fights when they travel and all that but I wonder if there's just like you know you just oh, how can I explain it to you. Um, just when someone's just having a bad day and the other ones are looking out for them, but they, they can't be there. They can't talk to them, you know, because we're in the middle of a fight here. And so I wonder if they're just looking at them like, you know, like, Hey, keep cool, keep it together, concentrate. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Or, or even like, you know, the commission's watching, you know, like focus or whatever. Mm. I don't know. Open scoring would fucking be a trip, honestly. But at this point in time, Remember, Sabatello's up 30 to 27. Stotts can't win, according to Douglas Crosby. So imagine if one of the other two judges happens to call the next two rounds for Sabatello. Stotts is screwed. Mm -hmm. Stotts camp is looking at this going, "Uh uh-oh, we are winning on two cards, but we can't win the middle card unless we finish them or get a 10-8. At least the 10-8 would be nice in terms of him keeping the interim title, but it wouldn't advance him in the tournament. That's a whole separate issue. And now we get to round four, and, and Sabatello does get the 10 across all the judges. I'm sure that's a big whew, relief from Crosby, you know, but it's 2-2 on the other judges' scorecards. This would play out so fun. This could almost be a reality show, man. Yeah, by round four, if I looked over and, and he had the same goddamn 10-9, I'd probably look at Miner and go like, "Are we dumb? What's going on here? Like, what the fuck is what's happening?" I know, especially because Crosby's been around for a long time. He's done boxing and MMA, but yeah, Cologne could be looking at Miner going, "Are we? Are we tripping? Forget about him. Are we tripping?" You know, and then Miner's going, "No, dog, he's crazy." You know, like we're good. You know, they may even be going like, remember the jab and the hook and mm-hmm. the kick to the body? Like, they, they're they saying all this. They're just not moving. They're they're like mannequins, right? They're set in stone. I don't think they can communicate. But I'm sure that they're kind of thinking, you know, that way to each other. That that part would be such a trip, man. Um, oh, my God. This is hilarious, honestly. But so, so John McCarthy disagreed with his son, Ron. I love the communication, and I love John's honesty. He put it on a, on his uh, YouTube channel, weighing in the podcast he does with Josh Thompson. And but in my opinion, that's constructive. So I wouldn't say he sold his son out or anything like that. No, not at all. Big story this whole week. Now here's another thing that's happened: the uh, Mike Mazzuli, who oversees the the commission back east. Um, he is saying that this is going to be, I guess, well, uh, investigated. Not, I got to get the wording right. Um, it's going to be looked at, right? And normally goes, this guy should get a pat on the back for something like that. That's what we want: is accountability. Is there a discussion? How is this being, you know, reviewed or or whatever? The only problem is, it comes after. Crosby, or you know, this comes. This, 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 I only found out about this in the last few days or the last day or so. But by then, Crosby's already flown across the country to referee, sorry, judge UFC 282. Remember, this happened at Bellator 289 the night before. And so, on um, you, you almost want to tell Mazzuli, you should have done this Friday night, stupid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, we're, we're respectful. Obviously, I would never say that like that, but it's just what I'm thinking. I'm sure a lot of people are are pissed off and could be thinking something like that. But um, I don't know. This this judging thing has really become just like, a, like I say, a big deal. Now, I, d- I do want to give some credit to Ariel Hawani and Mike Bond 
Mike Bond was on our spinning back click, and he went in really hard on Crosby and gave many examples of why Crosby just doesn't seem fit to be judging in our sport. He doesn't feel like he kind of takes it serious. Um, and then Ariel Hawani later on on his show also kind of did the same thing. But one thing Ariel did add that was very interesting, and I should have known this, referees in the NBA, I, I think he said goes, he said he looked into this, if you ref the night before, you ain't refing the night and the next night across the country. So it's almost like a pilot when you fly. Let's say you got the route of Atlanta to Rio de Janeiro. That's like a 10-hour flight. They probably expect you to decompress, rest. And when you fly back the plane, it may not necessarily happen the very next day. You may have to wait like 24, 48 hours, you know, just to clear your mind. And I think he was saying the same thing in the NBA. That just would not happen. Yeah. He, said he checked with someone in the NBA that said, no, that would not happen. And I love hearing that. You want these guys to be clear, clear-minded of, of what they're doing. And that's exactly what Douglas Crosby did. But the amazing thing was nobody thought, nobody in that commission that Mazzulio oversees said, hey, you know what, man? We think you may have had a bad night. We disagree with this call. We don't have enough time to review it. But we heard you're hopping on a plane and going to back west. You can't do that. And let's just say they couldn't catch him. Let's say let's let's say this guy disappeared like Batgirl, right? Nobody, what, where'd he go? Where did Crosby go? And he went on his own private jet. When he landed in in Nevada, the Nevada Commission should have already heard from the commission back east saying, "Hey, this guy can't do it. It just it wouldn't be right." Uh, and the Nevada Commission should have stepped in. And then when the Nevada Commission didn't step in. Then all these executives that always get props, deservedly so. Dana White, the matchmakers, Mick Maynard, Sean Shelby, Mark Ratner, good friend of the show, Mark Ratner, um, Hunter Campbell. One of them should have said, ain't that Crosby? Ain't he the guy that gave that ridiculous? No, 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 no. Find the commission. Let's huddle up and let's get another judge in here. And you got to pull this guy. Pay him, whatever. If someone fucked up and promised them the gig, pay him. Sure, yeah. But no, this just this just can't happen. You know what I mean? Are you talking about 80s Batgirl from the, the 80s Batman Batgirl? Remember she used to disappear after the fights? Yeah, but I remember Robin would go, Where's Batgirl? Great job. And then she had already bailed out. It would happen in the commissioner's office, right? Which I never no, understood either. because he's the daughter or she's the daughter of the commissioner. Like, I don't care what you're wearing, bro. If you were like head to toe masked up, I would fucking know it's you. You're not gonna pull that on me, especially Robin with the stupid little thing on his eyes. But Batgirl, like, how does your dad not know? But, but yeah, no, I I completely agree with that. Like, it's okay. Like surgeons, right? They they don't. You can only do so much before they make you take a break. Like, it's hard to sit there and watch a fight and really just focus. Like, your brain will start to hurt after a while. There's been times where we've had to do like three hour shows or after a watch along. Like, how tired are you? We're not doing shit. We're just sitting there talking, but you have to focus for four hours. Like it drains you. So yeah, I agree. I, and I don't he think flew. That, huh? And he flew. Yeah, and he flew. Doesn't I make watched, any sense to me. Check this out. I watched Bellator at 6 p.m. It ended about 8:30. It ended because Stotts and Sabatella were the last fight. 8:30 my time is 11:30 East Coast time. Right? So the gig was over at 1130. Then the commission and the judges and the refs all huddle up. They get their checks. Man, that guy wasn't back to his home or hotel. Let's just say he lives in Boston or in Connecticut. He wasn't home or he wasn't in a hotel room till about one. Then he probably had to catch a flight like around five or six. I thought I heard that he might have been on the same flight as King Mo and Eric Nixick, who were also there and then had to fly west to corner people. And I'm sure you want to take one of the earlier flights to assure yourself in case that one gets delayed will you jump on another one or whatever. And let's just say he did get here and he did rest up. That was still a five and a half hour flight, maybe even six from Connecticut to Las Vegas. And then, yeah, all of a sudden to get in the frame of mind, you know, to land, check in, shower, eat. You're not fresh as a daisy. Um, there, there are just so many red flags should have gone up along the way. And so, hey, look, thank you to that commission for wanting to look into it. And, you know, they said 
Let me see. The 50-45 score apparently was enough to trigger Mike Mazzulli, the commissioner director for the Mohiga Sun Tribe Department of Athletic Regulations, to schedule a review of the fight with all three judges. Hey, cool. Uh, after reviewing the fight, three rounds of the five rounds were extremely close, and other two were marginally close rounds, Mazzulli said, according to the report. One judge had Sabatella winning all five, which is controversial. But ultimately, Stotts won the decision, which is the correct result. I wish he wouldn't have said that. That's not the point. Mm-hmm. That's not the point that the right guy won. We're just focusing on Crosby. And um, if somebody were to be asking him, hey, all kidding aside, did, did the right guy at least win? Then sure, answer it. But he's putting out a statement that just that kind of reminds me of the kid that goes, mom and dad, will you sign this? It's a the, the deficiency report. What? You got an F? Hey, at least I didn't get a D. You know what I mean? Like, you didn't get no props because you got the, the other guys got it right. <laughs> Focus on this. You're F. You know what I mean? But anyway, so he does this. And again, this is what we all want. Reviews. We want them to huddle up. We want them to, to, to discuss, to discipline if they have to. But not days after all these events went by and two controversial scores were turned in. Wouldn't you rather get the D, though, if you got the F? I would, but the parents would still be mad. No, sorry. Let's say the kid said, hey, I, will you sign the discretionary report? I got a D. And they go, how could you? And then he goes, uh, I got it wrong. At least I didn't get the F. Look. Like at, he's trying to soften the blow or whatever. But At anyway. least I, I, I'm maybe about to do the same thing right now, but I like that the commission said something. Okay. I have to be realistic. A lot of times when these things go up in front of reviews and all that, nothing really happens. But I like that at least something was said because for years, not every time, but most of the time, it just kind of gets brushed under the rug. Like it's not important. Either that or who are you to criticize us is kind of like the feeling that, that we tend to get. So the fact that they even said something about it to me is a little bit of a win. But I would like something to come out of it. Uh, the most I can say, I can't, I, okay, it's two separate sentences. Hey, congrats to that commission for wanting to review this fight with all three judges. But I can't just go moving on like John Oliver. I have to say congrats to that commission for wanting to sit down with these judges but a little late. I have to throw that in there, goes because it, it you know, it, it it's late. It's late, and that goes for that commission, Nevada commission, and I think the UFC. Now I know the UFC is not supposed to influence, but remember how many times Dana would chastise Steve Mazzagatti, right? Post fight, but I think even during the night, I think he would tweet or whatever, and enough that basically this guy stop refereeing um and he's kind of he's kind of had to go at others as well but i don't think there would have been anything wrong with him saying hey we we don't we think douglas crosby should be pulled in fact i'm almost positive there was a time where there was a call where he actually said it to someone else and a lot a lot of the media were going hey should he really be influencing the commission or whatever but in the end in the end it was the right thing you know and and you know, maybe along the way, some stuff might not go down as the right protocol. But if it's the right thing, you know, it, it, it if it winds up being the right thing, then, you know, sometimes that's just kind of like the the way it is. I, I think that's the same way with with life. You know, those nego those you ever see those situations, right, where someone's got a hostage and I'm sure there's a protocol goes. There's probably a book this thick about, hey, we obviously have to save the hostage. So we have to go through this. You got to calm this guy down and wait for your snipers and you wait for the right call and this and that. But all of a sudden, some guy with 30 years experience goes, fuck that. I could see it in his eyes. He was going to whack her. So I put one in his forehead. And guess what? We're all alive, right? Right. It's the same thing. You know, like I think Dana, Mark, one of those I think could have said, hey, this is the guy that turned in a call over there. And he's kind of had a history of, you know, maybe just not being like the most serious fellow when it comes to this. And so we're a little concerned. This is our co-main event. And who knows what other fights he did? Luckily, those were all finishes. But this is our co-main event. And ask Jared Gordon. 
as Jared Gordon. It probably cost him. Luckily, I think I heard Dana say that he was going to pay Gordon his win money. But just the juice that comes with being the guy that beat Patty Pimlet, you had to put up all week with this guy, but now you finally beat him. You should get the, you should get a little bit of that. You know, aside from your win bonus, you progress up the charts. You know, whatever the matchmakers want to do with you, and I don't know, man. So he he didn't get that, and this isn't anything to do with Patty Pimlet. We'll get to a second. This just has to do with the, again the decisions. I I, I haven't even mentioned. <laughs> I haven't even mentioned the people that bet on them, you know, that, that oh. parlays and straight bets. Um, Gordon's family, you know, they got to pick him up, you know, because he's took the L, unfortunately. So, anyway, again, thank you, Mr. Mazzuli, but you, you're a few days late on this one, pal. This one should have happened earlier, and and there there just needs to be better tracing. If we're all going to sit there and say. You know, USADA, well, man, these guys are something else. The way they can knock on your door at 6 a.m. and they're on top of it and they're looking for you here, looking for you there, update this, update that. Then guess what? Someone should have been on top of this as well. George, when we were doing our watch along, we had Eric Nixick in studio with us and Cody Stamen, UFC Bantamweight. I'm not joking with you. It legitimately broke my heart the way they were watching all that unfold. Because you could just see like their souls sink. Cody had this look. And at one point, I think he even turned around and said, what am I supposed to do? Like, he, can you imagine not understanding your job anymore? Like thinking you went out there and you did it right. And it turns out you were wrong. They had this look like, well, we don't understand what we have to do to win fights. And that's like the main point of your job. And they just, it can be taken away from them just like that. It broke my heart, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I um maybe these guys feel like the more that I judge, the more I get, you know, paid, but so therefore I'm going to try and judge as much as I can even if I have to hop on planes do this and do that. Again, I don't know. I don't know if this is another conversation, but maybe the UFC should hire their own judges, pay them a, a good salary, the referees and the judges, and then just do away with it. And guess what? At the end of the year, when Dana White's doing his 12 days of Christmas and they say, okay, cut. Great one, Dana. Now they want you in the room, the rules committee. We got to discuss the rules for 2023, and they're going to look at it. And they're going to look at it along with maybe some com some of the top commission officials and go, hey. This guy just keeps coming up short, either with late stoppages or he doesn't know the rules or he doesn't penalize enough points for a, a kick or whatever, you know. Um, I get I get how there's a gray area and people will go, oh, the UFC is going to want judges and or sorry, referees that quickly stand up the fighters so they can throw hands or, you know, or, or the judges that lean more towards this type of fighter. And that just happens to be the type of fighter that's the most more of a pay-per-view seller. I don't know. I, I really don't know. But still, it's done in the NFL. I'm sure there could be a way that it's done here, but if not more huddling up, something needs to happen where this type of communication can happen and we don't get stuck with this type of a problem. There is a huge gray area in doing that. The one thing I would say is if you do do that, bye-bye Dana White. I don't mean he's got to leave the UFC, but you can't have him saying the shit that he says and acting the way he does yeah. because the first thing you're going to point to is that dude has an agenda. So yeah. he, he's got to be like all the other commissioners, you know, and just be out of sight. I mean, I'm trying to think of how they come at Goodell. They tell Goodell, I, I'm sure that at the beginning of the year, Goodell is well aware of what franchises bring in the most revenue and what would be his ideal Super Bowl. It all has to do with the, the, the franchise and the superstars at the top. And that's probably Liddell, sorry, Goodell, when he lays his head on the pillow, says, oh, we could just have this Super Bowl. That would be awesome. And these teams, you know, in the conference semifinals. and But, you know, the players decide that, the players and those refs. And anytime any of my friends have thought, that's what the NFL wanted, I sit there and watch goes and I analyze. And I say, you might have a point here. I can see where you're, where you're thinking something. But then 
in the quarterfinals or to get to the playoffs, wouldn't this have happened? Wouldn't they have overruled this? Get the fuck out of here with the whole the NFL's in on it, this and that. Because if they were, then we'd have almost the same teams every year in the Super Bowl. And that just doesn't seem to happen. So, no, I'm, I don't get caught up too much in that. Um, now, could it happen with the UFC? You know how this sport is and its fans, man. Big time into conspiracies and hating on these. Everyone loves UFC, but Jekyll and Hyde. Everyone loves loves them and also loves the hate on them. So maybe maybe it, it, it couldn't work, but it doesn't mean that the UFC couldn't at least Mark Radner or one of them say we we would like for this refer sorry this judge to not judge tonight. And this is the case, not because we don't like the Sudi War. You know, if the guy hasn't judged in one week, then he's fresh. He's ready to go. You know, I mean, like, you can't tell the commission what to do there. But if you say that guy turned in a controversial card last night and flew across the country to do it and he's going to do our co-main event, sorry, it's not going to work. And I think the commission would have every right to go. We agree. Anyway. All right. Um, real quick, because we do have our guests getting ready to, to line up here. Jared Brooks, we're going to have him on. But I do want to tell everyone, all these articles are on the front page of MMA Junkie. You can read them for yourself. Gordon says, because we can't spend all the whole show on it, but Gordon told R. Mike Bond, no ill will, but he's willing to go to London and fight Patty Pimblett. Patty Pimblett's been saying, you know, we got a, a post of him on his Instagram saying, hey, the ankle, I got to look after it, see what's going on. He gets married in May. He's going on a holiday for a little while. But he says, I love the fight. I like the fight. You know how I like the fight. I don't know. Poor Scouser uh, accent. But all this is on the front page of MMA Junkie if you kind of want to put it all together and check it out for yourself. Right now, we're going to talk to Jared Brooks, the one championship strawweight champion. What's going on, Junkie Nation? Gorgeous George and Gozer back with another MMA superstar, one of the best lightweight fighters in the world. He can fight at Bantamweight, Flyweight, or Strawweight. I think personally since 2016, ever since I called this fight, this is the best male Strawweight in the world. It's the monkey god, Jared Brooks, coming off a huge win this past week. What's up, Jared? How you been, man? Oh, doing good, man. It's uh, It's been a long way coming since uh, WSOF Global. You know? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's good to hear your guys' voice again, and it's good to be on the radio show. Awesome. Well, we're excited to have you. When I saw you fight that night, I was like, wow. I mean, you could really, really fight. And then, of course, seeing you fight at Bellator, UFC, man, definitely held your own everywhere you've gone in the different divisions against all the different talent that's out there, you know, and and – I, I just knew you'd wear gold at some point, but not every promotion has straw weight. I know Bellator's explored it, I believe. And yeah. of course, one championship's got it. So hats off to you, man. You got it done. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. It's been a long way coming. Um, you know, it's not the weight class that, that I would like to be a world champion in, but, um, you know, we got time. So that's all that matters. Yeah. Well, you've mixed it up with some of the best, you know, at flyweight as well. So you tell us, I mean, is that the goal, like, to just start racking up belts in different weight classes? Or would you like to defend and kind of set a legacy uh, at strawweight first? What's the plan? Yeah, so I would like to fight um, a couple strawweight bouts and, you know, defend my, my title a couple of times. But um, when they're ready to move me up to flyweight, I'm willing to go against the best of the best, tit for tat. Um Weight has never been a crazy issue with me, especially in one championship. The guys are, you know, 140 soaking wet. So um, I'm not really worried about the weight distribution for 10 pounds when it's, um, you know, a 10-pound difference in 125 to 135. The one thing that's always impressed me about you is you are seamless in your transitions and you have one hell of a motor. Do you, like they say, feel your opponents break because of that? Uh, there's a point in time in the fight if you f feel like they've slowed down, you could tell their punches have slowed down, or you could tell if they're they're grappling, uh, endurance has slowed down a little bit. So yeah, I like to range and and keep my mind on that the whole fight. But um, the goal is to to get it done within 30 seconds. So uh, I didn't get that done. So then you got a game plan and um, have a strategical game. Does 
breaking somebody maybe not feel as good as knocking someone out or submitting them, but does it still feel pretty damn good? Um, I'm never really satisfied with any win that I have. I'm always thinking in the back of my head, man, you could have done this. You could have done that. Um, my biggest critic when it comes down to, to the fight game. So, um, it's a lot better when you're knocking somebody on 30 seconds. That's an easy paycheck. Uh, you don't have to do any harm to your body. And you can go out to your family scot-free. He has to recover. So I think that a knockout is way better than that. And we're going to be trying to serve those these next upcoming fights. Jared, so we've kind of learned you're a very cerebral fighter. Um, I'm always curious with you, when is it that you know that you have an advantage over your fighter when is it when you run into him in the hotel is it at weigh-ins when you stare in his eyes like when's that moment where you go i got this guy there's bits and pieces um leading up to the fight so there's you know portions on social media to where i'll just be like okay he's not responding he's trying to keep me out of his head that means i'm in his head um there's portions you know when we do see each other through the hotel um you know, it's either you can be shook or he can be shook first interaction. But uh, when you're in weigh-ins, for sure, um, you could tell if a guy is, is not in the mood to fight you. And that's all that matters. If you're in the mood, if, if your day is going bad and the cut's going bad, all that stuff, and then I'm in your head, it's it's another thing. So, yeah, you got to you gotta do this mental warfare stuff with, with fighters because they're more incapable to go out and, and knock you out as well. So you might as well try to get a mental advantage at the end of the day. When I was in school and, and you know, when they go around the room and they go, what would you like to be when you grow up? Mixed martial artist wasn't an option. You couldn't say that. It didn't really even exist. Um, your long road to where you're at now, are there a few I told you so's that you were able to throw out to people that maybe didn't believe in, in the journey at first? And I've had I have a lot of non-believers, so um, I guess this is in your face. <laughs> this is the time to say it, I guess. But um, you know, at the end of the day, um, the people that do believe in me and the people that have been striding with me throughout my whole career, I really appreciate all of you. You guys have been you know number one base in what I'm doing right now. So. Uh, appreciate everybody that has believed in me throughout my career. Uh, still believe in me. This isn't the end. So, at the start, I got to imagine on the list of the goals is become a world champion. And now that you've done that, how much resets? What are like the new giant goals that you have outside of maybe uh, winning another title or defending? Is there anything else that you want to accomplish in the sport before you're done? Hundred percent. Um, I would like to do a nonprofit organization like Dustin Poirier. Um, you know, do something to give back to the MMA community, or you know, a place to where you know people are not funded for MMA or funded for sports. There's you know things that they need. Um, I would also like to fight Demetrius Johnson. Demetrius Johnson's the goat. Would love to fight him. Um, would love to get eight belts eight belts all together at the end of my career and ultimately work for one championship as a, a marketing uh, person. Which eight belts would you like to own? I would like to, to own the strawweight and flyweight. I'm just being realistic. I mean, Bantam, weight that's 145. So those guys are like 150, 154 day of fight. But I mean, I would do a couple of super fights as well. I would, I'd fight people like John Lineker as well. Now, are you talking about eight fights, sorry, eight belts because of the title defenses? Or yes. are you saying that at some well, point in your career, you'd like to go to other promotions and, and snag some belts like, like Chris Cyborg? She's got Strikeforce, UFC, Invicta, and, and Bellator. You want to do that or you want to rack them up in title defenses like a Valentina or or John Jones or – yeah, I would say I would say entitled defenses. Um, but if we ever did a cross promotion, you know, one championship is getting just as big as the UFC now because of this prime video deal. So the prime video deal is I mean, how many people are watching ESPN plus compared to prime video? Everybody has prime video. So uh, watch out for one in that way. And I think that we could do a cross promotional fight. I would love to fight, you know, UFC's best guys still right uh see who truly is the best of the best in the world and they're already talking about champion versus champion 
uh, UFC versus one championship. So, um, yeah, be on the lookout for that. I would love to fight Davison Figueredo or Brandon Moreno or, you know, anybody that takes the title in the next two years. Where have you heard that talk about possibly fighting UFC? I've heard it everywhere. I mean, it's not like it's like a like they're talking back and forth as far as, you know, negotiating who's going to fight who or anything like that. But it's just been talked about through fans. I just pay attention on social media, um, all of one championship, all of UFC. And people are constantly talking like, you know, uh, Christian Lee, he could fight at 155 against Islam Makachev. Um, you got uh, Anatoly at heavyweight. Anatoly's ridiculous at heavyweight. The dude's like a hulk. You got uh, DeRitter, DeRitter at middleweight. I think that he could be Israel Adesanya to this day. Um, you have people like Fabricio Andrade. Uh, Fabricio Andrade is absolutely ridiculous on his feet, uh, and he has pretty good in-game jiu-jitsu. So um, between – and Demetrius, of course. So between those champions, I think that we could really compete against the UFC champions. Going back to 2016 – that was a year where you fought five times and did very well, including some of those quick KOs, you know, that, that you've been talking about here. Mm-hmm. Would you like to do that? Or as you've gotten older, do you like spacing them out and you know, build up the leads, the camps, getting better between fights? What's your preference now? Um, I would say it's mostly I would like to fight like three to four times a year. You know, just stay constantly active. Just being active and being in repetition is huge in this game. Uh, Keeping up momentum, right? Um, And it it makes you build your character a little bit more when people get to see you enough. So if you see a bunch of uh, UFC guys, they're fighting every, you know, two months, they're going to be moving up quicker. So that's what I want to do in this game. It's not that I don't want to stay in the game for a long time, but... I would love to stay in the game until I'm 40, but I'm trying to get to reach pinnacles and do it as fast as possible so I can break those boundaries and try to get even higher in that uh, in that realm. What does this belt mean to you? It means it means that's that's just a shiny piece of gold, man. Uh, the belt doesn't mean too much to me. I'm just trying to literally show my ass just like any other fighter every fight. And if the belt means something to you like that, if you try hard, that that's when you die hard, right? So um, the belt doesn't really mean too much to me till to, to I get a, a lot of a lot of them and a stack of them, you know, built up and have them in my trophy case. That's all I'm looking forward to. But yeah, I mean this this championship belt is uh, it just shows you, you know, dreams can come true and dreams can you know come to fruition. So um, to anybody watching this, if you want to be a world champion, it's possible. It's a major belt, brother. It's a shiny belt. It's a heavy belt. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Winning this title. And I've been, along with Goes, because we used to grow up watching boxing before MMA even existed. And around the time of me being a teenager and Goes being a younger fellow, I don't know if you know, but we're brothers. Oh. He, um, the uh, the lighter weight class fighters were kind of taking the reins from Muhammad Ali and Larry Holmes and Ken Norton, you know, yeah. um, and those were the four kings. Roberto Duran, Sugar yeah. Leonard, Marvin Hagler, Thomas Hearn. So they were fighting anywhere between 147, 154, 160. All of a sudden they started getting more acclaim, more prestige, more money. And, and then we get to the 90s, right? De La Hoya, Julio Cesar Chavez. So welterweight, 147, Julio Cesar Chavez, lightweight, you know, around 130. And then Floyd, obviously, and Manny, who started off at 108, which is, I guess, in boxing, fly and bantam where you're at, you know. Yep. And look at the, the star power that they've had. It can happen in this sport. I hope you guys start making bigger money because, you know, the lightweight class fighters are so exciting the way you guys can flow from striking to grappling you know the that's one thing one championship has is they they have pay they pay their fighters man they make sure that their fighters are good so one championship is is dope for that and i would say from what you're going off of it's mostly um 
storytelling, man. You have to have a story to, right. for people to pay attention. I mean, you can you can have a record all you want. People are like, oh, that's a 13 and 0 record. That's a 14 and 0 record. Oh, I want to see that guy fight. But after that fight, if there's nothing to go upon, then they're gonna stop watching that fight. They'll be like, oh, that's just that 13 and 0 fighter, right? But the reason why, you know, they had their generations is they had one guy that ruled the weight class and could portray those people in a certain way to where they made those other fighters or those other fans look at those fighters and study them and then be like, no, nah, Jerry Brooks can't beat this kid. And then it happens and they're like, oh, shit, that's that's a respect factor. Right. So when the respect factor comes in, then it's easy to, to sell a fight again. Yeah, and the lighter weight class fighters are just killing it at one. They've really produced a lot of big names. For sure. Demetrius has come over and done well for the company as well, and that's what I want. I want some of the lighter weight classes to get their respect in MMA, just like the heavier ones. I know the heavyweights, you know, can turn each other's lights off. I get it. It's exciting, but some of the wars I've seen at the different levels, you know, and, and being introduced to 115 in Japan – that was awesome, and now I'm glad it's it's starting to get shine. And, I, and you're a perfect guy to be leading that charge. Let's not forget Lomachenko. Same thing, you know, one of the lighter weight class boxers in the world, but probably one of the most exciting. So For sure, don't that, deny. That's, that's all you got to do is be exciting and 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 be able to yeah. sell a fight as well. Yeah. So MMA fans, you got to tune into the lighter weight classes. Jared, thank you so much time. So, sorry, thank you so much for your time. Oh, I hope you, you have a, a great holiday. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year's. And and can that dog make a cameo real quick? We saw him pop up, but can we see a little bit more of him? Look at that. <laughs> He's a bad boy. <laughs> What's his name? His name is Louie. He's actually Louis? more famous than me. I mean, I just posted a Facebook video of us wrestling and got more likes than I've ever gotten in my whole life. So. He's Are you fan. sitting like on a bench or a chair? Can he can I'm he probably next chair. to you? Oh, huh? okay. I was wondering if he could Come sit here. up next to you. Was it a? Come here. Come here. Look at that. that's a beautiful dog, man. Yeah, he is a good boy. <laughs> How old is Louis? Louis just turned two. All right, there you go. Yeah, he's nice. my best friend, man. Call Heck him yeah. the monkey dog. <laughs> Hey, if you find yourself in Vegas, let us know. We'd love to have you in our studio. We can hey, have a long chat. Hey, um, yeah, I, I won't. I'll, I'll come to, to Vegas and, and fuck with y'all for sure. That'd be fun. Yeah. Very cool. All right, let us know. We'll uh, let you go. And thanks again for the time today. Uh, thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Um, hope you guys have a, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year as well. Thank you, thank sir. You, Jared. All right, take care. I like his mindset goes, save that brain, you know. Get in and get out. Save that brain. Yeah, he, um, you know, the first time we met him was actually kind of a long time ago. And he still feels like a guy that's just now popping onto the scene. Mm -hmm. um, but in that little time, he seems like he's matured a lot. Not to say he was like a punk or anything back then, <laughs> but uh, he, he was pretty chill. He said a lot of cool things. He wants to start that nonprofit, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he just seemed like really level-headed and, and a, a really good, really good cat. Yeah, I agree. Um, Jamal Hill is ready to go. I saw him do some media and he basically found out as they were still talking to Ankalaev that he would be fighting next for the title. We had brought up on the show, probably me more specifically, could what Ankalaev said been what triggered the whole domino effect with the matchmakers, but it doesn't appear what he said was that it was just the UFC felt like they didn't want to see it again. They didn't want to see Ankalaev and Blahovich, which I think is an overreaction. And I'm not saying they needed to run it back again. It didn't have to be those two, I suppose, because they did originally go up to Glover and go, hey, you want one of these two, specifically Ankalaev? So Glover definitely probably would have been one of the two, but Ankalaev looked like he was a little dinged up, his legs, the knee. And mm -hmm. Blahovich, eh, more hurt. Uh, you know, his soul was hurting more than anything. He really wanted to be a champ again. But they made the decision that they did, and that's that. So, um, yeah, I mean, pretty interesting stuff, though, again, with Hill finding out right in the middle of the post fight with Ankalaev. Yeah, that's that's a trip, man. Um, the UFC's got a there. There are some, some little things 
very little things that they could tweak that would just take some of the heat off of them. And one of them is a perfect example of Anthony Smith finding out on the air. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, dude, you can't do shit like that. It's so like, even if they pulled them aside and said, Hey, this is what's going on. We're sorry. That's still shitty. But, but the fact that they just let them find out on the air is like such a bonehead, cold, we don't give a shit about you type of move, you know? And, um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, night of, we were trying to come up with, I don't want to say conspiracy theories, but what we thought may have happened. It's not crazy to think that because they do shit like that. They do. They it's do. so unavoidable. I know. They have, you know, Dana brings about the team of 300 or 400 that he paid every single penny of their salaries during the pandemic. He says, I didn't want anyone to, I didn't want to lay off anybody. I didn't want anyone to stress it. Hats off to him, honestly. That was pretty amazing that he kept pushing through, pushing through the pandemic to make sure that his company and the sport, you know, survived. Really, really, he does deserve kudos there. However, in a company so big that's been doing this so long, there are these little minor details that you could do that go a long way. And I know this because this happens with, it's like being a CEO of a company, man, a, a company. And usually those CEOs are buttoned up when it's time to promote someone or when it's time to let someone go. They probably have to go through certain steps, and it's a team that makes it go a little bit smoother. You know what I mean? And um, I mean, you don't find out so-and-so's getting fired on Friday. You, get find, mm-hmm. you, you find that out when they're walking out with their box Friday afternoon. Oh, shit, I didn't even know, you know, or whatever. Well, that's some sort of a protocol. And the UFC sometimes messes those up. Yeah. Yeah. It happens. It does. Um, all right. Daniel Cormier says, Patty Pimblett can't be compared to Conor McGregor, who climbed faster. The point that's being made by everybody is in his fourth fight, Pimblett beat Gordon very controversially. We all think Gordon won. Gordon's not a ranked fighter. Gordon's not a tomato can. We're not saying that. He's just not a ranked fighter. This will make more sense when I say this. Conor McGregor fought Dustin Poirier. They were featherweights at the time. Feather uh, Poirier was a top five guy according to the UFC rankings. Probably at least top 10 in the USA Today sports MMA junkie rankings. This was back in 2013, 2014. And he knocked them out. There was no doubt who won that fight. So for those comparisons that have been out there, that should be enough to say, hey, tap the brakes a little bit. We love Patty's. What he's brought to the sport, popular. His fights are usually pretty fun, but he's not moving at the same pace as Conor McGregor. It's silly to even really make that comparison. Conor McGregor is such a like once-in-the-lifetime athlete, and the way his story unfolded, the things that had to happen along the way, that uh i get what people are saying you know like if anything maybe you can uh compare patty to more like sean o'malley what sean o'malley what's what he's going through you know that sort of thing but uh but connor's just his own beast that there will be nothing like that ever again and as much as you want to say he he was pushed and this and that yeah i agree obviously the ufc did things that were in his favor he still had to win he still had to knock out jose aldo Right, they didn't set that up. That wasn't magic. He still had to win the fucking fight. He still had to fight Chad Mendes on short notice. I know Ch- Chad Mendes fought him on short notice, but Connor wasn't like side studying for him either, you know. Mm. So um, Connor still had to do his things along the way. His story is very magical, very different. But I get what people are saying. Yeah, I think direct comparison, no, but. Hey, this guy kind of reminds me of that guy. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll see. I mean, there's still many chapters left to write. And it unfortunately for Pimblet, he's probably catching a lot more heat because of those comparisons or whatever. But a lot of it he's also brought on his own. Now, I'll give you an example. I saw an Instagram post today, or no, a behind the scenes post, three minutes of after Pimblet's fight, where he's actually very refreshing, very honest very humble and i really like seeing that but you know the pimlet that we saw with joe rogan and post fight 
he looked like he was a little bit out there. Now, again, he may not care, and it seem, he does seem to say that a lot. I don't give a fuck. But I think he does because he said it post-fight. It chaps his hide that he's not getting that respect. He said it himself. Mm-hmm. So you can say whatever we want, but we also got receipts, and you need to be a little consistent. You know, DC and Ben Askren were getting a kick out of the fact that he went there in terms of like, yeah, I thought I won the fight and I thought I won the fight pretty easily. And they were giggling. Oh, my God. Can you believe he went there? <laughs> but um, I think you got to choose the times when you when you when you do go there. And, and that that's not one of them. That's not one of them when the whole world close to being it. Yeah. So anyway, that that's not going to what I'm trying to say is that's not going to make him any more of a G. He's already been a G, but a lot of it has to do with. The finishes, but when you controversially lose or controversially win, I guess in this case, sometimes you just you 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 carry on and that's it. And in three months later, we'll all be you know talking about your next fight. But whatever, he probably has a plan. And guess what? So far, it does appear to be working, but it's not at the pace of what McGregor is doing. A couple things here. Nevada Athletic Commission extended the suspensions of James Krause and Derek Minner while the investigation continues. They had originally been, I guess, suspended because of that investigation. But as the investigation continues, the suspensions also continue. So they probably got like 30 days. It expired and maybe they uh, decided to keep it going. I really don't know too much about what's going on with this, but apparently the Nevada State Athletic Commission had had to huddle up recently and this came up so you know good for them to at least kind of keep us out keep us in the loop as far as what's going on with that conor mcgregor by the way fell out of the rankings out of the ufc rankings for the first time in eight years i know that's not really like the biggest deal but it kind of is just because it deals with conor mcgregor i just think mcgregor is going to look at that and if he's hammered if he's drunk somewhere in the Mediterranean on one of his yachts, and he sees that, expect one of those dumb videos to come out about how the comeback's going to be great and how dare you and, you know, this and that or whatever, because <laughs> he just needs to get upset at the dumbest things ever. You know, if I had 500 billion goes, I don't think I'd get up, upset at that, but, you know, it's that ego. It, 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 he knows that Drake probably read that and Halle Berry and Mark Wahlberg, and they're all wondering if this fellow a-lister is slowly becoming a b-lister you know and are, are we gonna invite him to hang out with us he doesn't seem to be as cool that's what conor mcgregor's really worried about when i think he sees these headlines because there's no way he doesn't know that he's lost four of his last five <laughs> yeah i mean these things happen everywhere like you you have to imagine as ridiculous as this may sound cristiano ronaldo is probably like wincing every time Messi does something great, right? And that's Cristiano Ronaldo. He's got stats that are amazing. But you don't think every time Lionel Messi does something great and someone tweets about it, he's not fucking tripping on his yacht? Yeah. And that's a one-two punch for him because he got benched by Manchester United. Then he got benched by Portugal. Yeah. So two different... You know, you might be able to go, man, the man you uh, coach tripping. Well, yeah, but you got benched with Portugal too. Is he tripping too, Cristiano? Like, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden, your 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 case isn't as airtight as it once was. But yeah, that that that's a whole other stage of these superstars, the superstardom. But it's news; it was out there, it was noticed. We put it out. Like, and I'm just wondering what the blowback's going to be. Lastly, let's finish with this. You know, I really like Cannon. Sorry, uh, Strickland and Costa. I know they're very controversial, and I know for some people they're they're just not their cup of tea. A lot of people would would probably even say they're they're terrible human beings for the things they post or say. The UFC has a loose leash, you know, in terms of what they allow their athletes to say and do. But I think Strickland is a lot closer to just reeling it in and just fighting. I, I won't deny that when I see an interview with Sean Strickland, I don't watch it from beginning to end. He is uh, entertaining. You know, he just jumps around, speaks his mind. He says, hey, look, probably to my own fault, I'm ignorant. Stuff along, you know, stuff like that. But 
I honestly think that if someone that cared about him just sat with him and said, hey, look, we're going to watch this interview. See what you said right there? Don't do that. And 10 minutes later, see what you did right there? Don't do that. Aside from that, do the rest. And we'd be okay. But, God, with these two guys, they've reached a certain popularity where they could really do something good for them, good for their families. You know, and, and they may actually wind up ruining it for for themselves just because they're too busy trying to be wacky, you know, and controversial. And, and you know, what sucks is, I, like I say, I, I, I think that deep down, Sean is just mm, a decent human being. Maybe just ignorant about a, a few topics and doesn't know any better about whatever, but... I, I watch a lot of his interviews and I study these guys and and he can tell when he realizes he probably shouldn't have said something. Costa, on the other hand, does just seem to be like, you know, uh, I don't care if this is hurtful. Uh, that's how I feel. You know, I think Sean Olisco, was that not cool? Okay, I won't do it again. Like, it seems like at least that hesitancy, you know, or that, that fiber in his body of like, oh, is that going to make that person uncomfortable or is this person, you know, whatever, then I'll, all right, I'll try to temper that. You know, I, I feel like he might, might be able to work with him a little bit more, but he said a lot of stuff, crazy stuff, you know, it's his fight week. And, but I just hope he doesn't get pulled aside and, 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 uh, you know, this somehow impacts his career because of his silliness. Let me ask you this. Who in PFL, or in Bellator, does something to that extreme. There are no guys that do this over there. You know, you'll get like a Danny Sabatello that's going to F this, F that, but he, but he's not saying things that don't make sense. He's not attacking certain people. I think guys like Costa, I mean, I think they say shit because their boss does the same thing. You know, and if, if your boss does it, then shit, why can't you? I think that's why Strickland and well, the boss did it. The boss did it. He's, he's been, been slapped around before. Yes, he's been reprimanded, and he cut it out when he realized, uh, okay, I just can't say what I think. Mm-hmm. It's just a different type of world that we live in, and I'm not even agreeing that every time people come after people, it's it's for the right reason. I do believe. I think there's a heightened sense sensitivity about about everything even i kind of watch myself and try and think things through but what i do know is this that in business if it comes down to look you keep saying that we're not gonna have a place for you well then guess what you know if it ain't that important to me then i'm probably gonna abide by what your rules are yeah. as simple as that if they told me something you know, like on this show, hey, um, you can't talk about female fighters or featherweights, bantamweights, flyweights. I go, well, then I can't do the show. I mean, that, you know, that that's ridiculous. But if they tell me just don't say this word or don't say that, that's offensive, I'm stopping it. Yeah. So whatever. Like I say, I, I there's a lot of things I get a kick out of, out of him, and I don't want people to think, oh, it's even the controversial stuff, because there's some that's not, because I realize what it is. But anyway, at the same time, there's not much to talk about. <laughs> so I'm kind of reaching for the topics here. But we are kind of at the end of the show. Is, is there anything else you wanted to say? Uh, maybe this weekend's card, You know, is there a matchup you're looking forward to? Of course, Cannoneer versus Strickland is at the top of the bill. But um, until we get to Ryzen and Bellator, this is it goes. I think Ismagulov versus Sarukian's badass fight for lightweights. Mm-hmm. Albazi versus Costa. Got some flyweight action there. Erosi like versus Bruce Leroy. That should be fun. Both of those guys tend to go out there and make it look like a street fight at times. Bobby Green against Drew Dober. Um, Cheyenne Velismas is back. Man, she'll go to a bitch's house and what'd she say? I'll go to a bitch's house and stab her or something like that. Something like that. I like Kirk because I think she could be a star. <laughs> yeah, me too. Brian Battles back. Manel Cop versus David Dvorak. Yeah, don't don't dismiss this card, folks. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you to everybody that's tuning in to Spinning Back Click. It's definitely growing. 
Mondays, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Goes and I will do a show next week, and then we'll be off for a week. But other than that, when I tell you, we do it every Monday. We do, and you should catch it. It's live. We discuss all the latest news with our colleagues from the editorial team, the writers and the editors, and it's a ton of fun. Mondays, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Junkie Radio, twice a week. You can catch it here on MMA Junkie. Thank you to all of you that have listened to even just one show or all the shows, like many of the people that uh, are part of Junkie Nation, some of the OGs. Shout out to them. Chili Billy, I know he's caught a lot of them. I know my man from uh, Oregon. Nick, that's right. Nick from Vancouver. Uh, sorry, Nick from Portland. I think he's up there as well. Mm-hmm. So shout out to them. We will see you all on Monday and keep it locked on MMA Junkie throughout the week for our coverage of the UFC Fight Night starring Jared Cannonier and Sean Strickland. Go out and be a champion. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>